Friends, I want to ask you to grab a Bible and open with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Mark 4 is found on page 839 of that Pew Bible in front of you. And as you turn, there was a lawyer, a doctor, and a preacher who decided to go deer hunting together. And as they were walking through the woods, they came across a rather large buck. And the three of them shot at the animal simultaneously. And immediately the buck dropped to the ground. And all three rushed up to see who it was that delivered the kill shot. And as you can imagine, three friends walking through the woods with guns saying, ha <laughs> Do you see how quick I was on the draw? No, no, no. You might have been quick, but you sailed that thing so high, you scared it more than killed it. My shot was perfect. No, 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 says the third man. You guys don't know what you're doing. Soon we'll find out the answer. And as a heated debate ensued, a few minutes later, the game warden happened to come on the scene and asked what the problem was. The doctor told him that they were debating who shot the buck? And the officer bent down, took a look at the animal, and within a few seconds said with great confidence, the preacher shot the buck. The other two said, well, how can you know so certainly? And the officer said, easy. The bullet went in one ear and out the other. And although the story might make more than a gentle jab at preachers, it actually illustrates a more serious challenge to all of us about listeners. Namely, as we listen to God's word, as we read it or heard it taught or even hear it preached, do we allow God's message for us to go in one ear and out the other? Do we hear God's word without allowing it to transform us? It's not just a problem for us. It's been a problem since the very beginning. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus addresses the reality of how we hear. And he continues to give us both warning and encouragement as he explains the nature of the kingdom of God to his disciples and to us. And so follow with me as we read Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, and so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil, 
And it produced grain growing up and increasing, yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes it away and the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Jesus was teaching again. Everywhere he went, he would engage with people proclaiming the truth about the kingdom of God. And now it appears the crowd had gathered and it was so large indeed that he needed to create some space. So he and a few disciples got onto a boat. They pushed a few yards offshore and he sat there and taught while the shore was lined with people. But did they hear him? I mean, the space was adequate. The distance wasn't too far. They could physically hear him. But did they really hear him? Did they understand? That seems like a bizarre question until you see that Jesus spoke to them in parables. And he told his disciples that for some, he didn't want them to understand. This is a parable about two things. It's about the growth of the word of God and it's a parable about the soils of people's hearts. And in the middle of that is how they hear. Now, before we get any explanation of the parable, we see the reason why Jesus taught in parables. And it might be a bit unsettling for some, at least at first glance. He says in verses 11 and 12, a quotation from all the way back in Isaiah chapter 6. Seems like there's some similarities that are happening. To you have been given the secret of the kingdom, he says, but to those outside, everything is in parables, so that the reason being, they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's pretty shocking. 
at first glance. The parables are given so that some won't perceive, won't understand, won't repent, and won't be forgiven. That's what the text says. Others who are around him will perceive, they will understand, they will repent, and they will be forgiven. There's two groups of people, some on the outside and some on the inside. And we just saw in the previous section that just because it looks like you are on the inside with the things of God doesn't make it so. In fact, Jesus just asked the question of his very own family. Really, who are my mother and my brothers? Not the ones that look like they are, but the ones who do the will of God. Those are strong words. Sobering words, convicting words, words that make us look in the mirror and say, am I on the inside or the outside? And the setting of Isaiah helps us to understand why Jesus quotes the prophet with this sort of desire that he does. Because you see in Isaiah 1 through 5, the prophet is recounting all of the ways that God's people, Israel, have rejected God and turned away from him. And their rejection results in judgment, a powerful judgment. And this particular judgment is that they will hear something, but they will not know what it means. They have spiritual deafness. And as a result, they won't be healed. In Mark, the exact same thing is happening. Jesus the king has come. The religious leaders of the day, the ones that are supposed to be on the inside, the Pharisees and the scribes have accused him of blasphemy. They've now accused him of even being possessed by an evil spirit. And his own family is calling him crazy and trying to stop him from doing what he is called to do. And so there is a repeated rejection of God and God's chosen king as he's taught and done miracles and even forgives sins. And now, as Jesus teaches, those who refuse to recognize him as king are on the outside. They will hear, but they won't understand. And Jesus' true followers will indeed hear and understand. Another way to think about the difference between allegories and parables is this. Allegories can be understood from the outside. It's usually about somebody else. But parables can only be understood from the inside. When you, a person, places themselves in the middle of the parable, you see its radiance. You see its good news. You understand how to act upon the command. And so we all know that Jesus wants us to hear and to understand. And as we do, we place ourselves right in the middle of the parable and say, what is the soil of my own heart? Now, let's get to the meaning of the parable. He teaches about three types of soils. The soils represent varying conditions of the human heart. Jesus is a sower who sows the seed, and the seed is the word of God. God's word is truly the best of all seeds capable of yielding 
a profound crop. And the condition of a person's heart determines how receptive they are to God and his truth. Satan is working against the human heart and against the expanse of the kingdom, against the sowing of God's word. But for those who hear the truth and do not act upon it, the truth is taken away from them. For those who hear the truth and act upon it, they receive more truth. And so this is a parable about how your heart hears and what you do with it. It's a parable that describes the mystery of the kingdom. And you see this in multiple exhortations. Verse 3, listen. Verse 9, he who has an ear, let him hear. Later on in the chapter, verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. This is about how your heart hears. The first seed is the seed that falls on the path. Verses three and four, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it as he sowed the seed. In Mark chapter four, verse 15, Jesus explains those first couple verses. These are the ones along the path. You can make a picture. He's probably pointing to some people in the crowd. These are the ones over here on the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. The fields in the ancient Middle East had paths that ran throughout them. And these paths became so packed down through foot traffic and hooves of animals and wheels of carts that any seed that would fall on the path would simply bounce off of it just like a seed would bounce off of the concrete sidewalk outside if we were trying to sow there. And this represents the hardened hearts of some people who hear the word of God, and it just bounces off. <laughs> their own self-absorption, their own busyness of life, they take little or no interest in God or the things of God, some may have opposed God. Some may be just generally apathetic to spiritual things. But I think that the idea of busyness, being so busy that you don't have any care for what God says is the main emphasis of the metaphor. And you could see how that could be true in your life and I could see how it could be true in my life. Busyness is, for many of us, one of the defining markers of our time. Way back in June of 2012, an article in the New York Times struck a nerve along this line. And the author gave an analysis of what he calls the busy trap. He said, if you live in America in the 21st century, you've probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It's become the default response when you ask anyone how they're doing. Busy. Oh, so busy. Oh, crazy busy. It's been an extra busy week this week. And it's pretty obvious that for many people that this is actually a boast that is disguised as a complaint. 
And the stock response is a sort of congratulations, like, well, that's a good problem to have. Better than being bored. The author goes on to conclude that busyness serves as a kind of hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. We're busy because of our own ambition or drive or anxiety, because we're addicted to busyness, and because we dread what we might have to face in its absence. Are you too busy to think about the meaning of your life? Are you too busy to care about the details of what God says? Not just the general, but the detail. This is not too far afield for many of us to struggle with today. Even those who profess Christ struggle with this. But know this, how you hear how receptive your heart is to the word of God is related to how you manage your time and allow for busyness and stoke your desires and your affections. The word is take care in how your heart hears. If you're too busy for God, the truth will bounce off your heart and you will receive no benefit from it as Satan snatches it away. The second type of seed is the seed in the rocky soil. Jesus says in verse 5, other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up and since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And he goes on to explain later on in the chapter in verse 16, these are the ones, maybe over here, the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. In ancient Palestine, there was two or three inches of topsoil that sat over the top of a lot of bedrock. You can imagine that's not the ideal scenario for growing crops. And it's not too dissimilar from my yard. <laughs> There's a couple inches of topsoil and then a whole bunch of clay. Not ideal for growing things. And not surprisingly, sometimes in thin soil, seed will take hold quickly. But then when the weather conditions become difficult because there's no deep roots, the crop dies. Why do some people seem to respond to Christ in a wonderful, dramatic response? But then in just a few short years, they go back to living like the world lives. The answer is shallow soil. A shallow and maybe emotional response. A response that doesn't actually integrate the truth of God into the heart and the mind. But rather it functions merely on experience and emotion. And when the emotion runs out or the experience becomes difficult, especially when it becomes difficult because of what the word says, 
When the truth gets hard, the emotion runs out, and there's nothing left to hold on to. Author Lillian Guild tells an amusing story of an occasion when she and her husband were driving along and happened to notice a late model Cadillac with its hood up on the side of the road, and its driver appeared somewhat perplexed and agitated. And as they pulled over to see how they could offer assistance, the stranded driver somewhat sheepishly explained that he had known that when he left home that morning that the car was low on fuel, but he'd been in a great hurry to get to an important business meeting that he had, so he had not taken the time to fill up the tank. The Cadillac needed nothing more than refueling. And so the guilds happened to have a spare gallon of gas with them. They emptied it into the thirsty Cadillac and told the driver of the service station that was just a few miles down the road. Thanking them profusely, he sped away. 12 miles or so later, they saw the same car. <laughs> Hood up, Stranded on the side of the road. Same driver, even more agitated, was pathetically grateful when they pulled over again. And you guessed it, he was in such a hurry for his business meeting that he decided to skip the service station and press on in the dim hope that one gallon of gas would take him all the way to his destination. It's hard to believe anybody could be so stupid, <laughs> especially if you're driving a Cadillac until you remember that that's exactly how some of us go about the business of living. We're busy pressing on toward our next agenda, our next goal, and we choose not to pause, to refuel. We don't engage in the ongoing adopting of what we hear from God's word, and it leaves us on the side of the road frustrated and running on empty. And so the word is, take care how your heart hears. Emotional response to Jesus is not true conversion. Emotion is definitely part of conversion. How could it not be? But true conversion is proven as one not only hears, but also responds to the truth of God's word and integrates it into their life. And so the question is, how are you hearing? Don't just hear, but not respond in action. The third type of seed is the seed that falls among the thorns. Verse 7 says, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And Jesus explains in verse 18 and 19, These are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So you can see how this might happen. The seed is cast onto the ground, into the soil. The thorn bushes are mixed in, and they might not even be on the surface. Their seeds might be under the surface, not visible. But as both plants grow, the thorn bushes are stronger than the crop, and they choke out the good seed. And Jesus says that the thorn bushes are love for the world. This could be the common big three, if you would. And he focuses on one of them. It could be status, it could be power, it could be sex, it could be money. And the love 
for these things stand in direct contradiction to a love for God, and they represent a heart that's divided. A divided heart is not a heart that believes. Jesus points to the difference, especially as he mentions here about money. He mentions in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. They will either hate the one and love the other, or they'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's one of the biggest temptations of our lives, the love of money. It's illustrated just this past week by the fact that two major lotteries in the United States hit over a billion dollars and $700 million. Unfathomable amount of money. It's illustrated by all of our incessant desires to buy more, have more, experience more, No one is immune from this temptation. And Jesus indicates that this love, if it becomes a love, constitutes a divided heart. Our house was built 34 years ago. We've lived in it for eight years. As I walk through our kitchen, I see 34-year-old floors and 34-year-old countertops. And sometimes I just think to myself, this is ugly, It's time for an upgrade. But we have kids. Kids are expensive. And we have kids who wreck everything (laughs) because they're kids. And I think, wow, maybe I should just stretch it. Maybe I should just stretch it financially and do it, get it done with, even though it doesn't make sense financially for us to do it right now. And then I remind myself, Will those things actually make me more happy? I mean, they'd be nice, but will they make me more happy? And the answer is always no. Nice things are nice. I like nice things, but they don't make you more happy in the long run. And this is the battle of the heart. A divided heart is not a believing heart. Kent Hughes says it's like the girl to which the young man once proposed. And he said, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in the world. And I want you to marry me. I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown, but I do love you with all of my heart. And she thought for a minute and she replied, I love you too with all of my heart. But tell me more about this Johnny Brown. (laughs) Take care of how your heart hears. Let the soil of your heart be singularly focused on the things of God and his word. The parable concludes with those who do hear a heart that bears fruit. Verse 20 says, there are those where sown on good soil and the ones who hear the word and accept it bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And the real surprise in the parable is here. It's not that people don't hear. It's the ones that do hear the type of yield that is given. 
The yield of those who receives God's word and act upon it is infinitely more than we could imagine. 30, 60, 100 fold. What you receive from the Lord bears a harvest in you, in your life, and it bears a harvest in the lives of those around you. And this harvest is mysteriously and disproportionately large. It bears fruit. Bears the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It bears purpose for you. It bears resolve in you. It bears a vision for the temporary, and it bears a vision for the eternal. And it bears joy. This is the mystery of the kingdom. It grows as the word of God takes root in good soil. The kingdom does not grow through force. It does not grow through material wealth. It doesn't grow through coercion. It's a mysterious thing that the entire kingdom grows through the word. And against that kingdom, nothing will stand. And so for you, for me, pay attention to how you hear God's word. Listen, verse three. He who has ears, let him hear, verse nine. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, verse 23. Pay attention to what you hear, verse 24. Take care in how your heart hears. Don't be too busy for God and his word and see that word bounce off. Don't be shallow in your reception, expecting and valuing nothing but experience. Don't be in love with money or the things of the world, lest that word get choked out in you. The Lord Jesus died that you might live. He forgave that you might be restored. He's enthroned that you might follow him and in following him find your true life, your best life, your most fulfilling life right now and forever. He sowed the seed that you might enjoy the bountiful harvest. So pay attention to how you hear. Don't be the person who hears but doesn't respond. Take care in how your heart hears and you will enjoy the harvest of God in your life. Let's pray. Father, you did not need to reveal yourself to us in any way and you certainly did not need to do so in a such a wonderful and detailed way, and yet you did so out of love and grace and mercy. God, we want to be listeners and doers of the word. We want to be people who are experiencing ongoing transformation. We want the harvest that this word produces in us. And so do this good work in the soil of our hearts, even now. Amen.